You're listening to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. Knowledge, techniques, and inspiration for your teaching and your practice. I'm your host, Mado Hesselink. If you're a yoga teacher who loves learning, is passionate about spreading the benefits of yoga, and desires more resources to support your teaching, you're in the right place. Let's get started with today's episode. Welcome to episode seven of the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast, all about breathing. My guest, Dr. Crystal Frizee, shares the essentials of what she believes every yoga teacher should know about the physiology of breathing. This includes why we breathe, how we breathe, and how to teach breathing to our students. I am really thrilled to share this episode with you because it is jam-packed full of both in-depth knowledge and practical applications. And this is my big vision for this podcast is to provide those to you. I've had a lot of conversations with yoga teachers about the topics that they wish were addressed more in-depth in their teacher trainings, and breathing is definitely at the top of the list. However, one of the things that happens is that we're only able to retain the information that we're ready for, meaning that as we develop a foundation of knowledge, it becomes easier and easier to learn on that topic. So even if your teacher training provided very thorough lessons on breathing, you probably couldn't absorb or retain all of it. That is why I believe continuing education is so important and is one of the key components for developing mastery as yoga teachers. My guest today is Dr. Crystal Frizee. She is the founder of the Mindful Pain Relief Method. She's a doctor of physical therapy, a yoga therapist, and a certified breathing behavior analyst. We get into a little bit about what that means in the podcast and and her background and her training. So she spent the past 14 years studying how to integrate the Western medical sciences with the wisdom of Eastern mind-body medicine. And that is right up my alley and really a a focus and passion of mine. So she does that really, really well. By combining these disciplines, she teaches women to restore hope, ease chronic pain, and reclaim their bodies and their lives. She does that through private consultation and also online group programs. Dr. Frizee has also been mentoring yoga teachers and yoga therapists for five years on the topic of helping clients address chronic pain complaints. She is excited to help you become a more confident teacher by understanding the science that supports the ancient wisdom of yoga. Today, that will be on the topic specifically of breathing physiology. My experience of the conversation was it felt like I was getting this private tutorial on the physiology of breathing, and it was super helpful and fascinating. So let's dive into that, and I really hope that you enjoy listening as much as I enjoyed participating. Crystal, welcome to the Yoga Teacher Resource Podcast. I'm so grateful and so excited that you were willing to come and share your expertise and your experience on the topic of breathing, especially knowing how you meld these different worldviews, these perspectives of yourself as a physical therapist, and then also as a yoga teacher. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I am so excited for this opportunity because I'm really passionate about helping yoga teachers upgrade and refine their understanding of the breath. 
and understand the power it has for themselves for healing and for either their you know students or their private clients because this is huge it's transformational it's missed in the yoga world um, really this you know the understanding isn't there the way that it needs to be and it's just got to change so i'm really excited thank you yeah absolutely i do think that you know, in, in the yoga world, we hear a lot about how important the breath is, how essential the breath is. And so I'm really excited to hear kind of your insights on what we're missing and how we can fill in those gaps. Yes, absolutely. I've taught at a few yoga therapy teacher trainings on this topic, and it always surprises me that, that this information has been missed in the foundational training. And, you know, the ahas that go off in people's minds um, when they better understand how the breath works, why we breathe, how we breathe, and how breath can be healing. So, yeah, let's jump in. Beautiful. I would love for you to start with just a really brief overview of your journey of how you got interested in this topic and where you learned what you learned. Sure. Absolutely. So my path to where I am right now with this has been pretty indirect. It's really evolved over the years. Um, say my yoga journey really started in 2003, where, you know, I really learned through my own practice, the power of the breath and the impact that it had on me, which I would say was really spiritual, very grounding and really connected me to myself, the world around me, to my inner truths. And, you know, as I go to like weekend workshops or, you know, talk to another yoga teacher, I, I learned that other people would have opposite experiences or something just different than me. And, you know, how I could feel relaxed and grounded and someone else could feel kind of aroused and stimulated or vice versa, was really curious. And, you know, that inconsistency, I, I'm a scientist at heart. My undergraduate training was in ecology, and I was a systems thinker, trained to be a researcher and ask the questions, and, you know, want to understand when inconsistencies occur, like, what are we attributing that to? So, you know, I just knew that I knew we're complex beings and that the breath is profound, but there's got to be some, something underlying why, you know, it's different for different people. And then, you know, down the road, fast forward, I'm doing my studies as a doctor of physical therapy and I'm learning the super fine details of anatomy and mechanics, but it was really missing the spiritual side. I wasn't being taught how to use the principles of breathing with a client to help them really heal. It was just improving the mechanical function of breathing. So, you know, really what set me on this course was the inconsistency between, you know, the clash of these two worlds where yoga was different experientially with the breath, with different people. In, in the medical, clinical world, it was being missed altogether that the breath could prime the patient or the client for the healing modality. And so I just really wanted to, you know, take that a step farther for myself. And that led me to pursue some training 
with an organization that's called the Institute of Behavioral Sciences, directed by Peter Litchfield. And I've done training as a, I'm a certified breathing behavior analyst. Um, and they offer a lot of great resources. We'll be sure to include some of their links for your folks so that they can go back and check it out. But I really, I got the training that I was looking for and that allowed to, you know, do biofeedback and practice different breathing techniques and look at the respiratory gases and ask someone, what are you feeling and correlate it with the data and like really dive into getting an understanding of myself and others where the science can meet the spirituality and it all can, um, it can be understood by a common, like just the beginning yoga teacher can understand this and apply it. That's so exciting. Yeah. Thanks. So, you know, I guess collectively we'd say, you know, ahimsa do no harm is the beginning. It's the same thing in my medical practice, right? You know, um, do no harm to my patient. And, what we should be doing is really taking that initial understanding that a yoga teacher has, which is mechanical, um, and take it to the next place with physiolo physiologic or biochemical so that they can apply the science to how they're teaching. And I love the saying, which is, you know, when we know better, we do better, right? So, yeah. you know, um, you know, that's what I'm hoping. And if nothing else that this conversation will set other teachers out on their own path of curiosity to learn more about this. And, you know, I'm definitely, uh, provide mentoring in this area. So if you're curious to learn more, reach out and let me know. Um, good. But, so let's, let's jump into that, which is what are the basics of breathing that you think yoga teachers are missing that you wish every yoga teacher training included, but you don't think they do? Mm, okay. The challenge is to confine that into this conversation today. I know, podcast. right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but let's start with just like maybe something a little bit more didactic and then go into more applicable. Okay. Um, first, let me just make some quick definitions of language so that when I say things, people understand. So when I say respiration, I'm really talking about the way that we exchange gases. You know, we breathe in oxygen, we breathe out carbon dioxide, and, and we should all be in agreement that that's what's going on. And, you know, respiration is chemical. It's about maintaining um, proper pH balance in the system. And it's really important. There's a part of our brain that regulates these autonomic processes that we don't have to be thinking about them, you know, like your blood pressure, your heart rate, and your breathing, all the cellular functioning that's going on, that's all happening on autopilot. And, you know, it's like our body is this brilliant machine that wants to be in homeostasis and it has a lot of compensatory sort of pathways that will kick in when we're not in homeostasis and so when we really think about the body in the way that it's designed respiration is keeping us alive it is keeping balance in those systems it is really essential that respiration from a physiologic perspective is optimal Okay, and then we'll kind of put that to the side. And then we'll talk about breathing, which is what we're instructing in our yoga classes, which is what we're doing in our own meditation practices. 
right? But breathing is behavioral. It is so much different. Um, breathing is like the, you know, the, the interaction of respiration with our mood and our posture and what we're doing in our lives. Are we singing? Are we talking? Are we sleeping? Um, are we exercising? You know, all of that changes the way in which we breathe. And it's essential that, you know, we keep respiration optimal and we want breathing to serve all of our life roles. And as a yoga teacher, we want to understand the way that we're teaching is affecting respiration, the physiology, the chemistry, so that our students and our clients can go out into the world and feel, you know, feel amazing, feel whole, feel capable of whatever it is they're set out, setting out to do. You know, our clients and our, our yoga students are not looking for altered states of consciousness, like in all reality here, you know, um, maybe I'm going to go do a two week, really intense retreat with a lot of crazy pranayam, but our regular students, they're not needing that. And, and they're not looking for that in your general class. So, you know, this opportunity is about really catering to more of your general population and delivering what they really need, despite what they think they want. So, you know, like if we're breathing 30,000 times a day, it's incredible, right? And how much of that is happening without us thinking about it? You know, I want, I want you to ask yourselves, kind of silently answering in your head, you know, what, where does the wisdom live? Where is the impulse coming from that tells your body to take the next breath? You know, and, and literally like take a moment and take a couple breaths and just kind of like, wow, hmm, that's curious. It's from your nervous system, right? Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the mechanics and the, and the biology and the anatomy of, of the way that I found just in teaching in teacher trainings, it's kind of missed that the stimulus control, the reflex control for breathing is in the brain stem and it's in the, um, carotid and arteries. So, you know, in the blood vessels themselves. And they're really responsive. As soon as the, the chemistry is altered, things shift and you're going to breathe differently. Um, and so, you know, the next question is what are those sensors sensing? You know, what, what is it that is triggering the brain that something needs to be different, that the next breath needs to happen or it needs to happen in a different way? And, you know, the look on people's faces when we, when I ask the question, I get, you know, go around the room and get the answers. They're surprised that the answer is not oxygen. Right. Is it carbon dioxide? Absolutely. Yeah. So there's a huge misconception that like carbon dioxide is poisonous and we need to get rid of it, you know, and, and these, these thoughts. Um, and so you know, yes. So I'm so glad that you're up to speed on this. Good job, you. Oh, thank and, you. <laughs> and, you know, but, but, and it's okay. It's okay. if This is new to you, right? Because you're here to learn and it's essential that you get it. So, but yeah, let's all just like be clear in agreement that 
respiration is all about carbon dioxide. And when our carbon dioxide is at the right levels in our system, in our blood, and in the airways, then we can have adequate oxygen levels. And, you know, the oxygen can be available in the right way to the red blood cells. And, you know, we could go deep into that part, but we won't. So that's what it's all about. And when we, when our respiration changes, it is essential that, you know, our body as quickly as possible can get back to that level of homeostasis. And, you know, over the years, it breaks my heart. I've had clients that have come back to me from years and years ago that say, oh, I do that breath that you taught me when I'm anxious. And you know what? I'm still anxious and it, it kind of makes me feel nauseous, but I've still been doing it, you know? <laughs> so um, what I want you to understand from this next part is you know, the way that we breathe, the mechanics and how it can influence the physiology. Awesome. Before we do that, can we, can you go back and just go a little bit more deeply into homeostasis and how, you know, many different systems of our body are working all the time to maintain homeostasis and why that's so important? Because maybe, you know, yeah. that, that's not, maybe that's kind of a big word, and it might, people might not be super familiar with it. Maybe they've heard it before, but they might not be like, you know, on the tip of their tongue, knowing exactly the nuances of what's going on there. So I think that that's important. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think we can paint a simple picture. Okay. So think of your body right now. Okay. What is happening in your body? Well, your musculoskeletal systems, your muscles are holding you up, probably sitting you know, um, your nerves conducting information from your brain to your body and back. And, you know, that's telling your muscles what to do, but, um, lots of other elements of the nervous system are functioning. Your immune system is, is, you know, going through and, and keeping you healthy and vibrant. Your lymphatic system is transferring fluid throughout. Your digestive system may be working on breakfast or lunch, depending on when you're listening. And, you know, we could go through every single system, the vascular system, the vestibular system, you know, all of them and say that right now they're all doing their jobs. And the reason why this topic is the central topic to keeping all of the systems in harmony, you know, let's change homeostasis, just harmony is because every cell in your body requires the proper pH to be able to um, complete their functions. And, and so, you know, if your CO2 is low, let's say, and normal, by the way, is 35 to 45 millimeters of mercury, but if it's below that, then, um, you know, you're not going to have the same, you know, oxygenation that may be ideal. And so, you know, if we talk about, well, what is disharmony? Well, disharmony could be a situation where, um, you know, things like your pH is abnormal because of altered respiration. And so now your kidneys are creating bicarbonates and trying to rebuffer Meanwhile, you're feeling some tingling in your fingers. 
maybe mentally you're feeling slightly foggy, just slightly distant, not enough to maybe even really correlate it to anything, but you're kind of noticing some difficulty concentrating. You're yawning in a lot. You're thinking you're tired, um, you know, and you're feeling a little tension in your upper body, right? Well, that may not like be a super big red flag, but what if all of these systems, um, and, and if I added to that, that, you know, maybe you're a little burpy, you know, a little rumbly in the tummy, you know, we can add some things on from every system that could all actually potentially in one person be drawn back to the way they're breathing consciously and unconsciously back to the respiratory chemistry. So from this perspective, when we say we, we really want, you know, optimal respiration, um, it really is so that everything is in harmony. I like that term. It's, it's um, I think it's helpful and relatable, you know, and one thing that I think is maybe missing in just in our everyday consciousness is how, how miraculous it is that we're like getting up every day. I mean, how many millions of systems and cells are going right just for us to be alive, right? It's profound. And in our culture, we have this forward momentum. Like we've got this, this, um, we place so much value on constantly improving, constantly growing that I think there isn't a sense of awareness of how amazing just being is. <laughs> yeah. And so to me, when I, when I'm hearing you and I'm hearing you talking about homeostasis, that's like a big message that I'm getting is that before we can make any kind of growth or improvement, we have to make sure that, that we're just in balance. Yes. Yeah. Being aware, just checking in, tuning in what's happening with me. Absolutely. So, you know, let's say that potentially most people have seen a baby breathing and what we'll see with the way that the baby is breathing is that, you know, they kind of have that Buddha belly and I have a three month old. So I love to watch this. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. Three months. They're so tiny still. So squishy. Oh, yeah. And, and you know, the, when they breathe, their face is relaxed. They're breathing through their nose and they're going to breathe so that the neck muscles are relaxed. The chest is fairly relaxed and the belly and the lower ribs expand and then retract as they're breathing. And then if we're specific about that, as this, you know, the baby breathes in, that's when the belly and the lower ribs expand. As the baby breathes out, that's when the lower ribs and the belly you know, draws back to normal. And so I think that's pretty common knowledge, you know, that that's kind of a desirable pattern to be teaching, um, to keep the chest relaxed and to keep the neck muscles soft. And, you know, that again is kind of the difference between what we really need to be teaching our people who are living these crazy hectic lives that you just mentioned and what you might do in a more vigorous, intensive pranayama workshop for what should be a very advanced practitioner. Um, but you know, there's still some misconceptions there and that is, you know, good breathing. What we look at mechanically as being good breathing isn't always good breathing. You know, we, this is, this is a caveat that sometimes comes back to sting me, but 
you know, you can't look at someone and tell if the way they're breathing is giving them adequate respiration. Wow. Okay. Okay. So that's, that's good. Right, but we, <laughs> we, we have to start somewhere, right? Like a yoga teacher needs some foundational and what am I doing? If I can't tell by looking, I don't have equipment like you have, Crystal, what am I going to use? So, you know, that's the caveat is that um, good breathing, let's just be clear that it's the proper allocation of carbon dioxide and, you know, retaining the proper amount of carbon dioxide so that we have the right base balance, that we can be oxygenated properly so that our systems are in harmony. And if I share, you know, you know, a quote with you that hopefully won't take me long to find, um, just one moment about how this applies to yoga. Uh, so um, if I can quote um, the Hatha Yoga Pradipika real quick, just as lions, elephants, and tigers are gradually controlled, so the prana is controlled through practice. Otherwise, the practitioner is destroyed. By proper practice of pranayama, all diseases are eradicated. Through improper practice, all diseases can arise. And the reason why I think that's so important in this moment is because we have to connect. As a teacher, we have to connect to be a messenger of the science and a messenger of, um, you know, the ancient practice. And so the way that I think we justify that is to say, here's what is, you know, ideal breathing pattern. I want you to observe if you're teaching in a class, observe the way you're breathing, observe what you're feeling, and most importantly, observe what you're experiencing mentally, physically, and emotionally. And if this breath doesn't feel right to you, then come back and talk to me after class or sign up for a private and let's talk through it. Um, because we need, we need to be a point of contact when, you know, when someone is out of harmony. So that's where, you know, the mechanics is a good foundation. You do want to understand the basic way to instruct the breath. And Can then you, you an want an example of that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So first of all, posture is, you know, important. And, and the reason that posture is important is so that there's the right tension of the system because when we breathe, it's a vacuum system. And if we're kind of slouchy and our abdominals have gotten weak and we have a forward head position, then we really take the slack off and there's not a lot of tension. And so you're not going to get very strong, like vacuum pumping and you just don't get the, the same exchange of air. Um, so, you know, a comfortable, slightly lengthened sitting or lying position is ideal. And then um, breathing through the nose. So, you know, I think it's great to, to always cue releasing tension of the face, throat, and shoulders, especially when it comes to the breath, because so many of the structures are located around there. And, you know, when it comes to nose breathing or mouth breathing, you know, generally as a rule of thumb, you know, nose breathing is better. And if we just have a quick little practical example here, if, if you can all, if you're sitting, um, if you can sound, round forward just a little bit in your posture and then jut your chin forward just a hair. So you're kind of in, you know, an 
an exaggerated forward head position. And then I want you to try to swallow. And for most people that will feel a little challenging, like a little strained in the muscle of the tongue. And if I leave you to stay there and ask you to get one of those really nice, slow and full lingering breaths in and out, it, it's just not as satisfying to a yogi normally. You just don't get the same experience. And so what happens to our people that are sitting at desks all day and commuting and you know that are in that sitting position, um, those muscles get tense in that pattern. And then that tension that you felt in your jaw and your throat and your tongue, they want to relieve that, especially as the person, you know, that we're talking about gets older and their body's more rigid. So if you're working with an older population, you know, they don't have the supple spine to just sit erect anymore. What, what are they going to do? How is their body going to adapt? Well, they're going to open their mouth and they're going to start breathing through their mouth. The lower jaw drops. And so now they're missing the filtration and warmth and humidification that happens when you breathe through the nose. And instead they're breathing a really large, easy volume through the mouth. And it's, it's the generally the rate, you know, how fast or slow we breathe 12 to 15 breaths is average when you're just kind of at rest, uh, 12 to 15 breaths per minute. And, and you know, when you're mouth breathing, then you're getting this large volume and people tend to breathe more shallowly and, you know, they just don't ventilate as much. But so you take that nice, easy breath. Well, we'll shift. We'll, we'll go to our better posture, you know, a comfortable upright posture. And you take that slow, gentle, make it effortless, effortless breath in through the nose. And then notice the inhale pausing. It comes to an end and there's a brief moment as the inhale transitions into the exhale. And then you follow your exhale, which should be incredibly effortless, soothing. It just passively empties. And when you get to the bottom of the breath, there's a subtle pause before it transitions back into the inhale. And as you do that, it's important there's no sound. We're not hearing a lot of sound. We're not hearing our breath. And for most people, we're not doing the restriction in the back of the throat, like teaching the regular person. So I have two questions. Yeah. One is sometimes in my classes, I will cue a mouth exhale, a very slow, gentle mouth exhale, like maybe three times as a relaxation technique. How does that play in? Do you think that that's something that's not a good idea to do? Or what do you think? I think that is a perfect segue question. Oh, good. Thank you for asking it. Okay. So let's, don't let me forget to answer that question per, like clearly. Okay. Okay. But I'm going to take us to a second about why is it that rate end up changes the respiratory chemistry? And then we'll come back to answer that with using the science. Mm -hmm. Does that sound okay? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, when we breathe in the way that I described, you know, I said that there's a vacuum effect. And, you know, that really regulates the flow of carbon dioxide in and out. And so basically we're going to make an assumption that the level of carbon dioxide that is in the air that you're exhaling, you know, carbon dioxide is a byproduct, breathing, that that's equal to the carbon dioxide inside 
your blood vessels, your cells inside your body, determining your pH. Okay. In the absence of a lung disease like COPD or something like that, generally we're going to assume they're the same. So when I'm working with someone, that's what I'm measuring. The volume, the, the amount of um, CO2 as they exhale. So when you keep that proper suction and vacuum that allows like that normal exchange of about 12 to 15 breaths per minute of about, you know, the right amount of liters of air that's passing and it will help keep that harmony. And if we open our mouth, then we're going to be potentially releasing a larger volume of air. And I don't want to, I don't want to distract you from your point because this is, I want to help you stay focused, but just to clarify, are you saying that when we breathe through our nose, the extra resistance, it's, it's just a little harder. It requires a little more effort and that has a regulatory effect that is, you know, what our bodies generally need. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So, I mean, even if you just experiment for just a second, like go ahead and just take what you would do as like your kind of full nose breath and just notice where the breath goes and then do what you would consider to be like a full mouth breath and notice where that goes. And what most people they're going to feel is that when they do a nose breath, that's full and intentional. It's going to be more expanding like through the whole trunk. And when you take a full mouth breath, it's going to kind of just be more in the upper chest, right? And you're going to feel more activation of um, some of the inspiratory muscles that we actually, they're not efficient. We don't need to be using them. I definitely felt more rib movement with the, in, with the nose inhale. Yes, yes. So what's happening is we breathe in through the nose the diaphragm is a dome muscle, has a tendon that's attaching it, and then it's, it's down and like on top of your abdominal organs. So as you breathe in, this diaphragmatic muscle pulls down and it's, you know, kind of slightly adhered. Let's simplify and say it's adhered to the lungs. And so it pulls the lungs down. And now the pressure is greater outside than inside. And so air flows in the abdominal organs are pressed down. And when we took that breath in the lower ribs are pulled downward and laterally. And so, you know, it creates all that rib movement as you're breathing versus when we take, you know, what would be more of a chest breath, um, it's just different. I mean, the diaphragm is the inspiratory muscle. It's the muscle that creates inspiration, but we can use accessory muscles to facilitate that, like your scalene neck muscles and your sternocleidomastoid neck muscles and your pec chest muscles. Um, and so, yeah, it's a totally different cascade and experience when you're breathing in the different patterns. And so even just that, like, you know, we love the new, cool, fancy stuff as yoga teachers. We love the stuff that creates a lot of experience, but teaching our students who are overstimulated in their everyday world to really just experience body with what we've talked about so far, the subtlety of just nose versus mouth. And then this is where I was, you know, kind of saying, we can't always tell by looking, you know, 
I think the real gift of being a yoga teacher is putting the student in control and empowering them to be in their own laboratory. Feel within yourself what feels right. What is feeling like it brings you to a state of wholeness? And then let them learn from within. And, you know, I said earlier that breathing is a behavior. It's how we shift behavior. First, we have to bring awareness to the way they're normally feeling, awareness to a new way of being, and then have them practice when they're in our presence, when they're in our class. And then they start to adopt that new behavior, and then they can use it in their lives. So what about the mouth exhales that I was asking you about? Yes. I was just like, now what was that question? (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Okay. So um, let's understand, like, let's say that you're starting, you'll say you're a runner and you're starting out and you're walking and you may find that you can breathe through your nose and it's supporting your needs of respiration. And then you pick up the pace and your body's getting warmer. And you notice that as you breathe through your nose, it's just a little more effortful. You feel like you really want to open your mouth and breathe as a runner, right? And so you do. And what does that allow? Well, that allows a greater gas exchange to support your increased metabolic demands because you're running, right? So that makes sense. But if we're just sitting, I don't have a huge demand right? And if I open my mouth and start breathing through my mouth, kind of in a resting position or in just like a regular class, then I'm going to be what's called over breathing. And so this simple terminology, I want to just list three words in case you do some Googling or reading on your own. I don't want it to be confusing. Over breathing, um, hyperventilation, and hypocapnia are all the same thing. They all mean the same thing. So let's, let's pick one. Um, let's hyperventilation. Okay. I think that's what people are most familiar with. Familiar with. Okay. Excellent. So we'll go with that. Um, so during hyperventilation, there is, you know, an increase elimination of carbon dioxide at a rate that it's faster than what's being produced by the body. And so what's going to happen? The levels inside are going to drop. And as CO2 inside drops, then now we're shifting our acid-base balance and our systems are no longer in harmony. Now, let's, let me just clarify that, that what do we really want for ourselves and our students and clients is that we can talk, we can sing, we can run, we can do a vigorous yoga practice, we can do a restorative yoga practice. We can be upset and emotional and be crying. We can be singing our favorite song in total bliss, right? We can do all these things. And no matter how we're breathing, our body just comes back automatically to a state of harmony that our systems know how to play together and that there's this effortless, instantaneous restoration back to what we're going to focus on is a range of 35 to 45 millimeter millimeters of mercury of carbon dioxide. But in most people, those systems are dysregulated and they don't do that. So in the baby, she does that, 
right? She hasn't experienced life in such a way where she's going to experience dysregulation, hopefully. And as adults, you know, um, we've all experienced all kinds of things, you know, that happen that cause dysregulation. And, and not to make it complicated, but I want to say that we can be, we can have that level of dysregulation. It can be state dependent. It can just be in one, with one trigger in our lives. So we could be, you know, working and doing great um, and, and have this all working really beautifully. But when we're around, let's say, a particular individual in our family or social circle that causes us stress, then we're dysregulated. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you alluded or you spoke about, you know, the some people will go to a retreat and will like do some really intense pranayamas. And that's not probably what our general everyday students need. But when we're doing that, would you say that we are dysregulating on purpose? Essentially, yeah. So, and this is always hard for me. It's hard for me personally because I have the clinical hat. But, you know, I, I kind of want to say that for most yoga teachers, maybe we also shouldn't be doing some really, really intense, vigorous pranayam either. If we're getting messages from our body that we're dysregulated, right? Like it's important to do no harm to ourselves and to listen. And, you know, I've got in the yoga world, lots of yoga professionals that, that have come to me and said, you know what, you are absolutely right. Because I did a weekend workshop and I got to tell you that I didn't feel good for a long time, you know, and, and I didn't integrate that into my daily practice, you know, and then there's others that are perfectly fine, you know, so you really just have to discern yourself what's going on. But it starts with these really fundamental basics to really explore. And, and we'll get to shortly, you know, some real specific takeaways for ways to apply this for yourself to really explore it in a real black and white way. But to make sure that this piece is really clear about, you know, what happens with hyperventilation is that when CO2 drops, the vascular pathways, the, excuse me, the airways all constrict. And so if they constrict, then we're going to actually have, you know, potentially lowered oxygenation into our tissues and then every system neurologic psychological respiratory cardiovascular musculoskeletal gastrointestinal and more you know are all affected and you know it is possible to have too high level of carbon dioxide but that's like extremely rare i've never ever come across that so um and then you know peter litchfield my mentor his, his work and studies would say that um, 60% of individuals that go to the emergency room are under a state of hyperventilation. So being in a state of hyperventilation or low CO2 can be the trigger for your symptoms, or it can exacerbate something you already have going on. So let's say you already have low-lying anxiety and your CO2 is dropped it could feel much stronger. 
Um, or let's say you're already, you know, um, you know, predisposed to having headaches, you could start having stronger, more lasting headaches. Um, so it could be the cause or it could exacerbate or prolong something that's already there. Okay. So what I'm hearing is that a lot of the breathing techniques that we are being taught in yoga are probably contraindicated for most of the general population because there's so much emphasis on hyperventilation. Yes. You are such a good listener. I want one, like one of those bells. It's like ding, 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 ding. Because you know what? It, oh, it makes my skin crawl because uh, when I go, I, I can hardly go to a yoga class, you know, anymore because what I constantly hear is take a deep cleansing breath. And in my mind, I'm hearing take a deep, you know, potentially injurious breath. You know, it's not, it's not the what what we should be saying, you know, um, just to kind of really bring this home. You can be a healthy individual where your respiration, you, you stay within that axis. You're one of those people where you can do anything you want and your CO2 levels can rise and fall out of normal and they just restore like within a minute or two. And then let's talk for a second. If you're someone who that's not the case, you're, you're, it's being a little dysregulated. Then just one breath is enough to keep you trapped in altered state where the CO2 is low and you're symptomatic, just being coached in one breath. And so that's, I said, you know, imagine how awful I felt when my private clients came back years later and I'm like, Oh, oops, I know better now. And so I do better. Let me reteach you. Um, and so, yeah, it's really not about a deep breath. What is it that is really healing? What, what do we need to be teaching? We need to be teaching just a slow, effortless, and full breath. I think there's, can we talk for a second about a couple misconceptions? And then if you think it would be helpful, I can just briefly describe like what dysregulation means, and then we can go into the therapeutics. Okay. Does that sound good? Yeah. So, okay. So here's a couple misconceptions. One we've already cleared that carbon dioxide is bad. Like that's not true, right? We need it. It's essential. We need it to be adequate. It's vital for us. You know, another one is like we said that good breathing mechanics is all about oxygen in and CO2 out. It's really about the proper allocation of carbon dioxide and retaining it so that you have the right pH balance and can oxygenate properly. And, you know, deep breathing means more oxygen. So in your cues, let's not say, let's take a deep breath and feel the oxygen going through your tissues and all of that business. Um, you know, one deep breath in an individual, like you said, can be contraindicated and can cut off the oxygen supply to the brain and the heart. And so they feel lightheaded, which, you know, can happen in a yoga class, you know, and that, you know, we under breathe. So, so many teachers think that we're um, as a population, like under breathing, like not breathing big enough. Our normal everyday person just needs to be able to breathe properly while sitting at their desk. They don't need to do this, you know, extremely prolonged um, digga pranayama practice with a full three part with breath tensions and yada, yada. 
you know, over breathing is common and we want to teach our students to breathe less. So if you take nothing else away from today, it is teach your students to breathe less, more softly, more silently, more gently. Slowly. Slowly. Yes. And I think there's, you know, this is a really big one. And that is that good breathing means relaxation. And that's not true because some people are very hyperstimulated and aroused when they're taught to take, you know, longer, deeper breaths. They can't chemically, they can't tolerate it. Um, so I mm-hmm. do experience though, that a very slow and, and, and when I, you know, this, bring it back to this question that I had about this cue that I give where I invite people to breathe out of their mouths, but I do ask them to do it very slowly and gently. And I experience that to be very relaxing. And that's the reason that I give that cue. Yes. So if you're breathing out of your mouth and thank you for bringing back to me again, to the, to answering your question, it's okay to breathe out of your mouth, right? I'm talking right now and breath is coming out and that's, you know, I'm not hurting myself by doing that. When we breathe out through our mouth, there's a big difference between like, if you put your hand about five inches in front of your mouth and you're going to, you're going to kind of experience that breath. We can all do that. You can take a slow breath in through your nose and, and breathe out through your mouth, nice and easy and gently as softly as you can so that you don't really feel a flow of air on your hand, right? It's so soft you're releasing the volume, you're maintaining that pressure inside, you're regulating it, you're letting the air seep out through the mouth, then that's okay. Um, You know, someone with COPD, what they're taught medically is pursed lip breathing to exhale, which is to breathe out through the mouth, but through a very tiny straw shape of their lips. Which is similar to Ujjayi. Well, Shitali is that like, you know, right. breathing out through I'm, the I'm lips. I'm thinking like effect wise, you know, that it's mm-hmm. about regulating the flow using muscular control. Yes. And, and absolutely. Ujjayi breath is a great therapeutic tool once someone can do the basics without it. And then the most important piece is that they're feeling like it is positive for them you know, they're feeling, and then you have to decide what are you teaching this breathing technique for? For me, I love the concept of wholeness because it covers the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual self. When someone is dysregulated, their self-identity changes. Um, They can be anxious. Their mood changes. Their psychological state is altered. Their physical body changes. They can become tense. You know, their organ systems are are changing. They could all of a sudden feel like they are going to have diarrhea. You know, so you're really you're putting it out there. Like, and by teaching you this breath, it is so that it's positive for you. It's therapeutic. So if it's not, check in. Let's talk. You know. Um, but yeah, I mean, good breathing is important. Like whether you're relaxing or not right? Not just, oh, I'm stressed. I need to do my good breathing. We need to be teaching our students that it's essential all the time in every realm of their lives. Um, so, hmm. yeah, so let's touch base on this, what I've said, dysregulation, just to make sure that that's kind of understood. And you can jump in and let me know if it's making sense. 
Um, let's say that you are driving a car and you have your hand on the steering wheel and somebody's going to pull out, somebody pulls out in front of you really fast and you're, you witness that you're about to be in a car accident. Now experience inside yourself what you think might happen in your body. Okay. Now for most people, they kind of envision their hand tightening, kind of clutching around the wheel and that their face is going to tighten. They're going to kind of like push away and most likely they're going to gasp. It's going to be a <gasps> something like that. Okay. And so it can, our nervous system learns so instantly and for people and experience like a car accident in that moment they there was this connection between stress and um you know lack of control and any other you know way you might experience that situation and a gasp or a deeper breath and so that individual for example could go out into their lives and start having a stress conversation with their spouse and they're not going, <gasps> you know, <laughs> so much, but they are like breathing more deeply and like gasping a little bit or even holding their breath, you know? Um, so would you yeah. say that uh, dysregulation is similar to related to or equal to activation of the parasympathetic nervous system? Um, well, I would say sympathetic nervous system. Right. Did I say parasympathetic? Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> but that's okay. spoke. Yeah. Sympathetic. Yes. And absolutely. So in the car accident example, we can kind of like see how the breath is going to go. <gasps> right. But in our everyday lives, like I've never been in a really traumatic car accident. Thank goodness. I'm knocking on my table here and not as a driver. So, you know, but my life is stressful. And even if I don't perceive it as stressful, all of us live in the modern world with the fast pace that you were referring to with the pressures, the productivity demands that we place on ourselves and the world places on us socially and culturally. And so, yes, our lives are stressful and our sympathetic nervous system gets kind of stuck in a state of stimulation out of balance with the parasympathetic system and that can be a driver for this dysregulation. Absolutely. So it's a driver for dysregulation, but it's not exactly what you're referring to when you say dysregulation. Well, so for the people that I've worked with clinically, right, they're coming to me because they've got headaches that just don't go away. They've got muscles that are so tight despite physical therapy and massage and dry needling and acupuncture and anything else, right? They've got symptoms. So I'm working in that population. 80%, I'm going to make a ballpark guess here and say that we can find something. I can take them through different ways of breathing. Like let's call it ideal. And then let's call it you know, dysfunctional breathing. And if I drive their CO2 down for most of them, we can create a state, right? So let me give you some examples here real quick. A teacher that has headaches that have been going on for the past year that nothing has resolved except working together. We realized when we lowered her CO2 through changing her breathing rate and depth, 
she felt the same anxiety that she feels in the morning as a kindergarten new teacher when her students are walking in. And then she realizes she only has the headache on the weekdays. Then we put two and two together. She practiced her ideal breathing, her better breathing, her therapeutic breathing in the morning before her students came to class and she did not have a headache. So that's state dependent, right? Mm-hmm. But for, you know, the regular population, the other 20% that we can't really find a cause or reason, it's just, it's just learned. It, it's just really interesting how our nervous system learns and our body wants to adapt for what? For survival and comfort. So one of my clients, um, has the lowest levels of CO2 that I've ever seen clinically like concerning that this individual is so high functioning and complaints are, you know, constant sighing, fatigue, chronic pain, some like acid reflux. And I personally would attribute all of those to the breathing pattern dysfunction. And, but there's nothing like no incident, nothing that you know, this person would describe as being concerning and we were never able to uncover anything. But when we tried to restore breathing levels, we actually created more symptoms. He felt worse when we did that more tired, more pain, you know? So, you know, that's where your system learns. And, you know, let's say this individual has had this dysregulation for, you know, a long, 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 long time, their body is now compensating and they don't know how to get out of that. And so they need a lot of gentle handholding back at the basics. And even to be told, I guess maybe we could segue into some of the therapeutics, um, to be told, um, I want you to listen to your body and I want you to be telling me what you're experiencing. And then you have to be able to put all the pieces together as the yoga therapist or the doing the one-on-one. And with this person that was um, putting together that, you know, I was seeing the correlation of symptoms with their breathing. And when we tried to change it, that they um, weren't able to do it for very long. And so let's go through some of the therapeutics and then we'll, come back to this particular client in case someone that's listening runs into that, this situation um, to make sure, because it's kind of the most complex type of case to work with. Okay. So, and let's say that as we talk about therapeutic application, that we're talking about more general population, although it does also apply to a respiratory condition like asthma or, you know, COPD. And hopefully, though, somebody with asthma or COPD or or another respiratory condition, they're under the care of a clinician who is supervising and, you know, hopefully even in contact with a yoga therapist who's working with them on breathing. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And Yeah. I mean, you want to really be very gentle with that population. If you're working with someone there, you, you want to be confident yourself. Um, but just like everything else as a yoga teacher, where do you start with awareness? Okay. So I would say that you want to start with bringing awareness to their unconscious breathing pattern. And so really, really emphasizing that 
your students tune in to how they breathe most commonly? Like, I think people kind of walk into the yoga studio and sit on the mat and their breath is different than it is in their everyday life, you know? So really tune them into what could be faulty breathing. And so what are signs of that? Mouth breathing is a huge indicator. And otherwise, you know, things like um, rapid breathing, you know, if normal's 12 to 15 breaths per minute, you could easily sit and just observe, you know, your private client and count, have a watch and count their breaths and see. And if it's 25 breaths per minute, that's really rapid. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong, but can they restore it within a normal level and still feel okay? You know, um, so what do you notice about the rest of the pattern? So we talked a little bit about a diaphragmatic pattern. And I do want to say that there's a little, you know, overemphasis on the belly breath, you know, the navel rising and falling. Yes, that is a part of an efficient breath, but I really like to use the cue also of just like expand the lower ribs out to the sides laterally, especially if there's any pelvic floor issue, incontinence, diastasis recti, if your client is obese, um, where they may already have a weakness of the abdominal wall, you know, there's, there's reasons why you want to make sure the rib cage is mobile and they can expand outward. Because that way you're allowing more of the pressure to move upward rather than down onto that already weakened pelvic floor. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And if you feel that, if you take a breath in through the nose and you let the belly be relaxed and really expand the belly forward. You're going to feel that movement more through that abdominal tissue and so much through the ribs. Mm -hmm. And if you take that same breath and you focus on like not the belly button in the front, but you know, move awareness through the same level of your body, but to the sides, I feel almost all my ribs expand. Great. Yeah. I like that you know, looking for what's called like reversed breathing or paradoxical breathing. And it always surprises me when I see it because individuals that are breathing this way, it's really hard for them to unlearn it. You know, they, they really need you to really give them those subtle cues and take them back to the basics. And reverse breathing is when, as you breathe in, like the chest will fill and expand and the belly will draw in. And as you exhale, the chest drops and the belly pooches out. And that is some people's automatic breath. So I've worked with people with that in the past. And I wonder if you have any tips on helping them understand the importance because it's so much work to retrain your instinctive breathing. I found that it was it was difficult to, I mean, they would, they were happy to work on it under my supervision, but I didn't feel like that that was really adequate to changing the pattern because there was, you know, it's so you're doing it 24 seven, one hour, once a week is just, I don't feel like it's enough to change the pattern. That is really, really insightful. So you're right with anything that we find that's dysfunctional about someone's breathing the time we spend with them is nothing compared to the time they're alone and living their lives and facing their triggers and out in the stressful modern life that we talked about. Right. Um, and so they have to adopt a practice and, and what I really 
recommend, you know, and do in my own practice is I start achievable because what I most want is that they're going to follow through. And so I give homework, you know, that's five minutes. And I really ask, you know, listen to your body. Is there any piece of you that doubts that you can do this for five minutes a day? And if they get anything that's like, yep, I'm like, okay, how about three minutes a day? And if they're like, mm, I don't know, then we go to one minute a day. If that's too much, I say, can you just do it for five breath cycles? Right? So we have to meet our client where they are. If we really want to help them heal, they're not going to do an hour practice. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. And then as far as tools go, get an eye bag, you know, like a bean bag that you put on the eyes or a very light um, sandbag. If you have like a one pound weight or a block, you know, you can put that on their chest and, and challenge them to be in a position, you know, maybe slightly elevated in their chest, but laying, laying and then their knees are bent and then have them keep what you put on their chest as still as possible, put their hands on their belly and have them understand that they're learning a new movement, just like learning to roller skate, you know, like it's hard and they have to get their brain to figure it out. And then it needs lots of reminders, lots of reminders, I guess maybe a language learning a new language is a better example because it's complicated and breathing is complicated. So, you know, if I have a willing student, then I'll say five minutes, five times a day, because you really want to dose the nervous system to say, hey, here's this chemistry. Okay, and then let's let you go back to normal. And then here's this chemistry. And what's amazing about the harmony of our system is that it is what it wants. It desires that. It learns. Your physiology learns. And it can learn kind of negatively. You know, that's how the state gets induced and stays chronic, but it can learn positively as well. And so you're creating that safe space with the knowledge for your student to feel from within what is happening that is allowing them to feel more of what they want. Like, why are they coming to yoga? Is it to feel stronger? Is it to feel, you know, more calm? Is it to sleep better? Well, how is your breath supporting you to do that? So I'm definitely getting the message that working one-on-one -on -one with people is really, really helpful for being able to actually figure out what each individual is experiencing during their breathing and, and what, their, what their patterns are. At the same time, a, a lot of our listeners, a lot of my listeners are teaching mostly group classes. And I'm wondering if you could address, you know, what, what are some approaches from this information that we can bring into a group class setting? Yeah. So in the group, um, I think it's important that you are assertive, that you want the whole group to follow your cues. Even if you've been doing, you know, breathing practices for a long time, there is something for your student to learn in the subtleties and um, I'll talk you through what those might be in just a moment, but to stay with it and to really practice. And then otherwise, all along the way, you're giving your students an out. Like, and if this doesn't feel right, please return to your normal resting breath. If you get any discomfort, return to what feels right to you. Um, knowing that someone that does have a dysfunctional breathing pattern that may be already in or getting into hyperventilation based on the class, 
then, you know, they need permission not to continue and follow along because they can't give you that direct feedback of, hey, I'm starting to feel shaky and trendy. You know, hey, things are feeling a little distant. I'm feeling cold. I'm feeling short of breath. I'm feeling tight in my chest. You know, they're not going to be able to tell you that. So I think that that's really what's important. And then just, you know, updating the way you teach so that you are keeping in mind the principles of, you know, what I think is really needed. What's the purpose of a yoga teacher in today's culture? You know, and I, I'm hoping that more and more it is to be a beacon of healing and wholeness and not so much, you know, look at me (laughs) doing this fancy pose. But, you know, so awareness of how you breathe is the first step and really guiding that, getting people um, not to change the breath, but to experience the way they're already breathing in the class and, and off the mat. Gosh, it also seems like just being knowledgeable, knowing what the symptoms of hyperventilation are, that's really huge because I feel like a lot of these things, if somebody said, oh, I'm feeling shaky, that a yoga teacher would be like, good, that means that, you know, I, you know, fill in the blank, but it like means you're growing. It means you're work. It means you're challenging yourself. It means whatever. Um, but to have just the sense in the back of your head, oh, they might be hyperventilating. <laughs> right. Right. Or yeah, exactly. There is a checklist, um, that's published online and we'll link to that, that, right? Yeah, you can yeah. link. And, and you know, this is like a clinical tool. So I don't want you to overrepresent in your practice, but I do think it's great if you take a look at it, you can correlate like, okay, so if someone's just feeling shaky, for example, well, maybe they're physically exerted and that's okay. But if they're feeling, you know, how many of these symptoms on this sheet are they feeling? Well, then, yeah, then that's a breathing pattern disorder that is related to hyperventilation and, um, and, and that's something that's worthwhile to work on. And, you know, that might be a nice segue for some people to work privately with clients on something very specific, which is restoring breathing. Great. Anything else, yeah. any other tools for the, for the group class teacher? Um, well, I think that, you know, lots of use, for relaxation of the upper chest and shoulders and neck, um, cueing, you know, coming back to the like lower abdominal, lower rib breathing retraining. So, you know, challenging in different poses, the ability to engage with that breath. And then just, you know, awareness of the full breath cycle, the breath in, the pause, the breath out and the pause. And noticing what arises in all four of those spaces. So most people with hyperventilation will love the inhale. Like if I just take a big inhale, lots of sensation. People love it. They just love, love it. When I exhale, I have to let go. I have to be passive. It just happens. It's mechanical. And if I'm someone, for example, that you know, is kind of type A, I've got a lot of pressure, I've got a high profile job, I'm holding it all together by a shoestring, I've got a, you know, intense family life, caring for my aging parents, and I can't let go of anything or it's all going to crumble apart. That might translate into the, into the way that I breathe and what a spiritual practice to learn 
to start to shift my life first by my breath. And so the cues in a group class to really experience the exhale as a letting go and not rushing, not forcing, not participating, just letting it arise. And then being present to that moment at the bottom of the exhale before it shifts into the inhale of a place of like solemn connection. Like it's just such a solid place to sit in. And if someone's feeling uncomfortable there, that's another sign of hyperventilation because someone that, you know, isn't very skilled at having normal ranges of CO2, they don't know how to elevate it. The body is letting them continue on with lower levels. And so you know, when they get to a slow exhale or they get to that pause, that's when CO2 rises. When we're not breathing it out, that's when it's accumulating. So would you recommend in, uh, in a group class to have a, like a specific pranayama portion? And if so, is there a certain time in the class? Like, do you think beginning, middle, and all of the above? <laughs> all of the above, of course. But that... <laughs> That is, that's a great, that's a great way to think about how the, the group teacher could apply that. And that could be opening the conversation in the beginning to saying, Hey, we're going to do some breathing in the class. And here's the basic breathing. This is just silent through your nose, no sound, keep it flowing, keep the pace, what feels natural, but even don't shorten your exhales. And, you know, you can guide them through more slower, you know, slower cues than that. And then, okay, if that feels good and you, you're ready to go to the next step, then here's the next way to alter your breath. And you can lead them into what you would normally be doing with your breathing practices. How, what do you think about that? I think it's, yeah, it's wonderful. I mean, I, I think I'm also hearing though, um, an invitation from you to maybe back off and simplify our breathing practices that we're teaching our general population students. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The common population doesn't, they're just not ready. They're just not ready. And you can't tell by fitness. So even for Ujjayi, you you think they're not even ready for Ujjayi breath? Um, Well, that would be the next piece to add. So, you know, I think it's, to be as safe as possible to truly do no harm, I would start with the most foundational breath, even in a more advanced class, then add Ujjayi. And then you're always bringing them back to awareness of self because that's why they're there to learn about themselves. And then, you know, from there you can go into your other breaths. Before I tell you about more breaths, let's make it very clear. I guess I didn't um, clarify this. If most people are in hyperventilation, And that means that CO2 is low and that's creating symptoms or exacerbating symptoms they already have. That's preventing their own body's healing systems from being, you know, as optimal as possible. Then what we want to do is elevate CO2. And because the listeners don't have a catenogram, they don't have a cannula hooked up to their students' noses, then the way that you increase CO2 is by slowing down the rate of the exhale by decreasing the volume of air exchanged if it's you know you want to be appropriate to the activity but if you're not doing vigorous exercise you want to decrease the volume so you use the nose you purse the lips or you breathe out through the mouth as you were describing 
I love the example of visualizing a candle in front of your nose or your mouth, and you're going to release the breath effortlessly, slowly, and quietly without disturbing the candle flame. Don't flicker it or visualize a feather right in front and you're going to release the breath, but you're not going to like blow the fibers of the breath. And if that's okay, if that's like, yeah, I got it. Check. Then you can proceed from there, but they have to have the ability to do that. And, and then as you proceed, you're checking back in because you, they may dysregulate at some point. The other way to increase CO2 is by a gentle breath hold. Now, one test that I use simply um, with the biofeedback on, but you could kind of play with it, is just to say, hey, take a normal breath in and then hold your breath. How long can you hold your breath? And what's normal is, you know, 30 seconds. So if they're getting to 10 seconds, you know, or something less than 30, that could be an indication that there's a breathing pattern dysfunction. They don't really know how to tolerate elevated CO2 levels. And so they're, they're trying to rush to the next breath in. They're not comfortable in the space of the exhale. So, you know, that could look like, um, you know, more like a Dirga Pranayam, slow breathing in through the nose. And you could break it into, um, you know, two parts so that you're going to sip the air in slowly through your nose, like inhale, pause, inhale, pause. And then do the same thing as you exhale, exhale, pause, exhale, pause. Because some people won't be able to get to the actual end of the breath. But that's a cue that you should be using in your classes. Follow the breath, allow the breath, release the breath, and follow it to the moment that it ends. We're never empty of the breath. You know, we're, we're never like fully empty in our lungs, but there's a natural place where the breath stops and most people are stopping short. So most people aren't exhaling enough. They are not exactly. And, and clinically that's called aborting. You abort the breath and you rush into the inhale. So some of my clients, I'll have them take an inhale and, you know, I'll give them like a four count, one, two, three, four, which to most of us as yoga practitioners is short. That's a short breath, you know, and to the common person, that's a really long breath. And then as I have them exhale, one, two, three, four, they've inhaled in the middle of the exhale. You know, they can't make it that long in an exhale. And so, you know, that's why teaching to slow the breath down, to try to feel that pause is really important. Got it. Crystal, this is really, really helpful information, and we've gone over so much today. What I'd love for you to do as we start to wrap up our time together is to go back over the, the pieces that you feel are the most essential, which I, I think I'm hearing you um, talk about these different elements of your breath and why each one is important. Absolutely. So the first thing that I want you to make sure as a listener that you've got is how to teach and look for in your students, the location of the breath. 
So, you know, in general, it's not that one way of breathing is right or wrong, but we want to know that the student in our class can show that diaphragmatic breath and that they can expand laterally in the lower ribs. And the next one would be the depth of the breath. So if our student is sitting or lying in class, we don't need a deep breath. We should be able to breathe effortlessly and through the nose. Generally, we shouldn't hear any sound at all. And that's a great way to teach the breath. No sound, it really changes um, the depth you're breathing when you, when you say do not hear your breath. Effortless and slow. And, you know, I really want you to scratch the word deep from your teaching vocabulary. Please don't use the word deep. Um, just an easy breath or a full breath will help you prevent students from getting into hyperventilation. And then the timing of the breath. Know that as yoga teachers, we're advanced and we've done a lot more practice and study than most of our students. And the timing of the breath means that for most people, the breath it's hard for them to make an eight count breath, you know? So keep it short, but really try to cue your students into all four parts of the breath, the breath in, the pause, the breath out, and the pause. And maybe, you know, considering the subtleties of the way that you teach, and as you move away from these fundamentals, the first thing that you do is you extend those pauses and you extend the length of the inhale and the exhale slowly, but still keeping all those other principles of breathing through the nose and keeping it silent, keeping it subtle and smooth without a lot of forced effort. And when you have someone or a class that you're really familiar with and you've asked them to check in with you on you know, the feedback of the breathing practices, then you can move from there into your you know, other more typical and advanced breathing practices. Awesome. Great, great wrap up. So one thing that Crystal has agreed to do is that we're going to offer a download on different breathing techniques. So she's going to describe her basic breathing technique. And then, you know, for example, Ujjayi and Nadi Shodhana and some of the different basic yoga breathing techniques. And she's going to put them in order from most basic you know, down to more advanced where, you know, they, they become, would you say they become kind of prerequisites for each other? Crystal? Yes. Yeah. And the, you know, the benefits and contraindications and the reasons for practicing each one. So that's going to be, I'm, I'm really excited. We haven't, I haven't seen that yet, but we're going to have that by the, by the time this episode is released. And we always, we always end this show with an invitation for our listeners to take some kind of inspired action, whether it's uh, to try a different technique in their class or to work on something in their personal practice. So what, Crystal, what would you like to invite the yoga teachers listening to this podcast today to work on this week? I would love for you to be curious about your own body, your own chemical axis, and your own respiration, your own breathing, your response to breathing, the way that breathing can connect you to yourself and the world around you and help you heal and feel whole, and to really play with the breath, like take the hat off of your former understanding 
and really go back to the very beginning and have a meditation practice um, and really practice this knowledge. And, you know, as you said in the beginning of just in awe of all that's happening in your body at one time through the breath and, you know, try these principles that I've suggested and, and notice, like maybe you feel more energized and more clear and more focused and more prepared for your day. And you know what? It was easy and um, doesn't have to be a lot of time. So I just really want you to take at least five minutes, at least two times in the next week. And I want you to try this gentle, subtle, quiet nourishing breathing that I've been talking about and then notice before and notice after the effect it has on your body and try it in your class. I love it. You know, what has been really cool is that throughout this entire conversation, I've been so aware of my breath. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. I feel like, it's yes. been, I feel like it's been a pranayama practice the entire time. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. That's like somebody will say, well, how much do you meditate? I'm like all the time. What do you mean? Yeah. Every breath is a chance to bring me back. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to really honor that the way we breathe is the way we approach our lives. It's so much more than just the physiologic respiration, right? But that's really important. And having that be in balance allows us to carry on and live a life that is full in the way that we want to feel. And so it's so essential. We can't look past it. We owe it to ourselves. Wow. There was so much, that was such an amazing um, session, Crystal. I feel just really grateful that, I mean, I basically got to have like a, a little private lesson with you <laughs> and, so did, <laughs> and so did all my listeners. So that was, I mean, I learned so much today. I'm really, really grateful that you, that you took the time and, I, you know, came on and shared a bit of your, I know that you have so much more to share. So I do want to let my listeners know that they will be able to find a link to your website and, you know, more information, the, the ability to get more information about you in the show notes. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. And um, I really hope that this seeps in and is of value to everyone listening. Thank you, Crystal. Absolutely. A huge thank you to Dr. Frizee for that incredibly in-depth and informative overview of the physiology of breathing in a yoga setting. I hope that the episode was as helpful to you as it was for me. Please do let me know if the information was on the right level for you, if it was easy to understand and easy to follow. I personally thought she did a fantastic job of making the information simple and accessible, but because she was talking to me, she was, you know, the feedback she was getting was from me, and I really want to hear more perspectives. So you can email feedback to me at helloyogateacher at gmail.com, especially if there's something about your personal experience that you don't necessarily want to share publicly, like in a review, but you want to just help me out by uh, helping me understand what it was like for you. 
If you want to learn more about how to advance your skills by working with Dr. Frizee one-on-one in a mentoring capacity, or just find out more about her mindful pain relief method, you can contact her at PT at gmail.com. I know that's a little bit of a mouthful. Crystal is spelled C-R-Y-S-T-A-L, Frizee, F-R-A-Z-E-E. So Dr., like just D-R, Crystal Frizee, PT at gmail.com, and that will also show up in the show notes for sure. As always, I am creating these podcasts for you, and so I really want to hear back from you. I really want to know what you find useful, what topics you want to see me cover, and how I can improve my episodes to serve you better. If you do want to leave me a public review, you can go to iTunes, and please know that I read every single one, and they mean the world to me. They have been incredibly uplifting and energizing for me to to get that feedback from you guys. I also want to invite you to join my private Facebook group for yoga teachers. If you go to teachingyoga.net, click on the join our community tab and you'll get the option both to join the Facebook group and then also if you want to sign up for my email list so you can get updates about the podcast and get reminders every week about what the current episode is. If you're already a member of the Facebook group, please come check in and continue the conversation Try out some of Crystal's tips and come let us know how that goes and if you have any questions. I hope that you will join me again next week when I will be sharing a reality check episode about the differences between teaching yoga full-time versus teaching yoga part-time and some guidelines for helping you figure out which is a better goal for you right now. Until then, have an amazing week. Bye.